Hello there, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is From Across the Pond, so named because we put the show together here in the United States. That's a far away place for the United Kingdom people. Uh, we are glad to be on Premier Radio all over the United Kingdom and via the Internet around the world. Uh, we're here every week at this time uh, to promote Red Letter Christianity. You say, Red Letter Christianity, what's that all about? Well, some of us uh, got concerned because uh, we feel that the word evangelical has lost a lot of its original meaning and has gotten seduced into right-wing politics here in the United States. Uh, that even white evangelicals, I have to be careful about this, white evangelicals have married the Republican Party and specifically Donald Trump, and we're saying, hey, that's not who we are. We believe the Bible to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed. We believe that salvation comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who we believe is alive and willing and ready to enter into the lives of any of those who will say, come into our lives, come into our hearts, transform us from within. But we're not into right-wing politics. We're in progressive social issues. And we had on our show last week uh, Ken Annan, uh, who's written uh, a recent book uh, entitled uh, You Welcome Me, uh, the subtitle Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. It's a book that has been out in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Uh, and uh, we talked to him about his ministry, his growth, his development, and what he's doing with his life. Uh, Kent, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Great to be with you, Tony and Shane. Uh, we were talking about uh, Haiti, and uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, that you've been doing some things in in Haiti and in other places uh, in Southeast Asia, for instance, uh, which have been transformative. Uh, you guys, you and uh, and your friend John, tell us a little bit about John too. Uh, have been into uh, what we call transformational travel. Um, we've been sending uh, ministry groups to work in Haiti and in other developing countries. And very often these groups come in from the outside and because they don't know what they're doing, um, often create a lot of trouble and actually uh, create some difficulties for those who have been working on the field long term. Could you uh, comment on that a little bit? transformational travel, and how your organization and other organizations can make mission groups going to places like Haiti, going to places like the Dominican Republic, going to places uh, like Brazil, uh, to do good uh, and then end up hurting uh, the indigenous people. Could you speak on that a little bit? Yes, I think this this was a a, a term that they came up with back in Beyond Borders and your your friends David Diggs and John Engel, um, you know, and come up with and then that we John and I used in Haiti Partners, and the idea of transformational travel was okay. When we go down, let's not pretend when we're you know sort of the American Christians going in for six days to somewhere complex with lots of issues and poverty that we're going to really. Um, go in and make a huge difference and and save save other people, you know, sort of that white savior complex that you can go in with. And the idea of transformational travel is, oh, let's let's name this in a much more humble way and go in ready to be changed ourselves, not just to take change, but to be changed 
ourselves. And so the transformational travel is uh, hopefully some lives are going to be transformed of who you meet with and you spend time with. But more importantly, can you be transformed yourself and get a vision for how God wants you to be different and how you're involved maybe long term with the place you visited and also to be transformed how you are when you're back home, how you vote, how you uh, give, you know, out of your, your own income. And so I uh, really like that transformational travel term because it, it flips it upside down to say we're not going down as heroes. We're going down as people who are humble and ready to learn and ready to be changed ourselves. Yeah, and as you as you do that, I'm sure you have seen some transformation. We talked a little bit about the 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 wonderful work of of Haiti Partners and and others down there as far as uh, indigenous leadership and Haitians rebuilding Haiti. Um, but tell us a story of of someone that you have seen transformed as an outsider coming in, because I know that we we see that too. It's part of why we uh, do have uh, windows where people can come and join in our work and. Uh, the, one, one of the things that I, I, I really see is that people connect their gifts and their skills to the suffering and, and the, the um, struggles of others. And then everybody has life. We've got plumbers that are coming and helping plumb houses. We've got, you know, urban farmers that are doing stuff. How have you seen some lives transformed by maybe even what initially was a short term experience and exposure? Yeah, the person that comes to my mind is, his name is Craig. He's a, a good friend. He's been a good friend for 20 years, and he lives outside of Toronto uh, in Canada. And Craig came down with me on a, a short trip, so this kind of thing where he's really coming to learn and have this transformational travel-type experience. And so went out to the village where my wife and I lived, and then in close to Port-au-Prince where we were based and where we were working. And um, what was really neat is, you know, Craig then, you know, Craig and his family generously supported the work that they've done. That we were that we were doing, and the Anel, who I talked about last week in the show, was doing and helping these young people who are future leaders in the church and doing community development work through churches. So all that was good. So that was a, a change in news that we saw. But then, you know, I think it kind of stayed with Craig after he got back and thinking, okay, that was an exchange. But I got to kind of go down there, and then I got to leave. And he has four children, and you know, what does this mean? So he wrestled with this idea, like you said, and then. What Craig ended up doing is inviting back uh, Enel's son, who was probably 11 years old the first time he did it. And they've had him now for four years in a row for four different summers. They've had um, this Haitian colleague of mine, Enel, had his son come up and spend a summer with them uh, outside of Toronto. Mm. And what I thought has been beautiful about that is, you know, Craig still helps and he helps with his expertise and he's on a board. You know, so like you said, using this, the skills that he has as someone in business. To, to serve and make sure that there are resources and help so that these this work of in Haiti can happen. But what I think is really cool is he took it to the next level and said, no, this is about transformation and transformation of my family. And, and it's not just about one way, the help going one way. It's about this exchange going back and forth. And so by having his uh, son, Ismael, Enel's son, come up and stay with them, you know, it's not meant these two families have gotten closer. It's meant the the dynamic is really one of exchange instead of just giving one way. It's made a difference for Craig's children up there in Canada. And Enel has been so grateful for his family and his son's mm. learning English. And so I think that's a, a neat example of how you can you get transformed to use your skills, but sometimes you never know what the but the, how the Spirit's going to move you and, and uh, what adventure is ahead when we really open up our hearts. There's a group of people that you deal with, and you and your sister organization, Beyond Borders, have dealt with 
the rest of X. That's an interesting word, rest of X. Uh, uh, could you tell us about who they are and what you are doing and what can be done to help rest of X? Who are they? Describe them. And uh, where do they come from? And uh, tell us a little bit about your work among them and uh, Beyond Borders and uh, uh, Haiti Partners, who has worked cro- closely with Restavex over the last few years. Yeah, so Restavex is this term that comes from the French, like rest to stay and avec is with. So stay with is what the term means. And, and what it refers to are these children who stay with other families. And so uh, estimates are there are around 200,000 Restavex in Haiti. And these are children who leave their own homes, often rural families where their fam- families, you know, subsistence farmers, and they're having trouble supporting their kids and there aren't schools nearby. And and usually through deception, these families... The big word, their- big word you just used, deception. Could you spell that out? What do you mean, deception? Yeah, so it's uh, so they'll be like a, a broker, like a family member or a broker will go to a family, a rural family. So imagine, like you know, walking an hour down a path to get to this little, a rural village or or home where a family's having a hard time supporting their family and then and supporting their children. And then someone comes and says, "Hey, I know you're having a hard time supporting your child. You know, say a 12 year old girl." And said, but you know, if she moves in and moves, can she can stay in the city and stay with another family? And there's a school there, and they'll make sure she gets enough food, and we'll make sure that she gets to school. And uh, don't you want that kind of opportunity for your fam- for your girl that you know you can't provide? So that's sort of the deception that happens: is uh, families end up send- sending their children, you know, heartbroken themselves. They don't want to send them away, but if they can't get them enough food, they don't have an education for them, they end up kind of making this you know, this deal to kind of send their children off, hoping it's a better future for their children. What happens in most cases is then this child, say it's a 12-year-old girl, goes to live with another family, and she's there, and she probably doesn't get to go to school at all, uh, doesn't get much food, is doing hard labor day and night, all hours of the day, is sort of shunned from the family, not treated as an equal as another child, and then often faces abuse, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And so these children are just the most vulnerable of the vulnerable in the world, really, in these spots. And so um, yeah, so think of 200,000 children or so in this country of 10 million people who are in this situation. So with the Haitian leadership, you know, there have been Haitian organizations and churches say, like, this is not acceptable in our country. And so organizations like us, Haiti Partners, and and um, Beyond Borders, and uh, been working some with Development Associates International, said, no, this isn't acceptable. How can we help? And, and the way I worked with colleagues was helping churches to say, no, this isn't acceptable. We can't do this. And so to do awareness campaigns where churches commit to saying, you know, no one in our church is going to have a Restavec in their home. And then we worked with these young leaders. I'll quickly, quickly tell you a story of a, a woman I know named Erwin and uh, I don't think you got to meet her tell you, but Shane, you met Erwin when you were in Haiti. And Erwin, when I first met her, was this shy 23-year-old uh, woman who we gave a scholarship to to do an undergraduate program down there as a future leader. And I actually thought she was one of the, the students who we kind of made a mistake picking her because she was so shy when we first met her. And I thought, oh, how is she going to be a leader if she's not willing to talk with, talk with anybody? Uh, and then 
three years later, Erwin was telling me this story where she had been leading in a church, leading a Bible study with a group. And, you know, as a young woman speaking in this patriarchal society, she was leading a Bible study and on this taboo subject in lots of places of resurrection. She finished this Bible study saying, you know, like God's call for justice and protecting the, the children and those who are most vulnerable. She finishes this, and this woman, older woman in the Bible study, starts to cry. And Erwin asks her, you know, what's what's the matter? What's going on? And then this woman's really weeping and finally gets out, you know, my, she says, well, my daughter, like our family has a Restavec in our home, and, and she's not treated well at all. Mm. And so this young Erwin, who was this too shy to even speak, then leads this woman and leads this Bible study and leads this whole family through this process where they repent. They see that what they're doing was unjust, and eventually, through Erwin leading them, Erwin, uh, this this girl who was being exploited, got to move back to live with her family, with her own parents, with her own family, and the family that had been exploiting her is now paying for her to go to school and stay with her own family. So um, that's the kind of change that, that you can see. And then Erwin saw another situation kind of like that near her home where kind of rest of X situation and with an orphanage. And she, she at one point like was so standing up for, for these vulnerable children that there was a contract put out on her life and the other people's in her family life. Cause they were getting, getting in the way and stepping into this injustice. And um, so it's a horrible situation wow. with these rest of X, but yeah. there are, there are courageous young Haitian leaders who are trying to change how that works in their country. Our guest today is Kent Annan, uh, a dear friend and one of the founders of Haiti Partners. He's now working at Wheaton, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But he's written a great book, You Welcomed Me, the subtitle, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. And when I went down there with you, Kent, one of the things that wasn't really that surprising but sure was beautiful was seeing the hospitality that I was given everywhere Um I don't know if you you slept in uh, a family's house when you were down there, Tony, but I slept yes. in this this family's home and it began to rain and um, uh, the the roof was leaking uh, quite a bit and throughout the night um, one of the the uh, matriarchs, the mothers in the home, came and would put these little jars out to make sure it was catching the rain so that it didn't run into my, uh, my mattress, you know, where I was sleeping. And then the next morning I had probably one of the most spectacular breakfasts, you know, with, uh, <laughs> fresh eggs that were, you know, just laid and, you know, uh, <laughs> just, uh, freshly, uh, roasted coffee and everything. It was an amazing breakfast that, uh, was prepared right in front of me, like on the the fire and everything. And, um, you know, I, I can't help but think all that hospitality that you received down there has um, spurred on your passion to welcome refugees and immigrants, because ironically, like some of our countries are now becoming so closed to people who have opened my eyes up to real hospitality and love and, um, uh, we we thankfully had the chance to welcome a family from Haiti on our block, Kent. I think you know that, that one of the folks, mm-hmm. the families that I met through Haiti Partners is now uh, living just a, a few yards away from me, an incredible young family on our block in North Philly. So, you know, as you think of this hospitality, though, um, wh- where where did you make the leap from Haiti to the work that you're doing now, and how does it overlap? 
Yeah, my, exactly. I, I think the, the fact that I've been uh, received that kind of hospitality uh, of people who, you know, maybe even saved up and used some of their savings to, you know, even though I was trying to refuse, say it wasn't necessary, but, you know, buy, buy a bottle of Coke for you. And, uh, and you know, it really cost them something uh, to do it. And, and the kind of hospitality, like you described in, in the home there where we got to live, you know, so beautiful. I can't help but, but, uh, but want to be welcoming to others. For me, it really started uh, my first work after undergrad. I went and uh, worked in Europe with a refugee ministry. So, you know, I went over, I think, with wanting to help, but also not knowing exactly what it meant and also sounded like a bit of an adventure. But then suddenly I was, uh, you know, going to visit people in their homes. I was uh, living in this hostel in France in sort of a rough, rough neighborhood in the city of Strasbourg. And there was living with refugees from Sierra Leone and from uh, Sarajevo at that time and different places. And they were so generous and, and helpful. And, and they became not just, you know, a project or an issue, but friends. And I think that, you know, you, you've spoken so well about that over the years, Shane, too, of like how this friendship will change, change who you are and how you see the world. And so getting to see people and realize, oh, they're, their experience of life is totally different from mine just because of where we happen to be born. And so, um, so I think that, that set me on the trajectory back 25 years ago of having these refugees as friends. And then I was in Albania and Kosovo during the war and in Kosovo then and, and getting to try to help out people, but also you'd go to help people and they'd be so hospitable and, and beautifully welcoming and giving you Turkish coffee that was thick as thick as pudding uh, to drink and and um, you know just receiving that hospitality over the years has been really amazing and what it makes me think of is the passages in the Old Testament where where God says to Israel hey remember that you remember your history and that you too were once exploited people you once were people without a home and so you need to be welcoming to those without a home so when Jesus is uh, when God is sort of giving this instruction to Israel on how to treat the foreigner, the refugee, the immigrant, it's really rooted in their memory of having received God's love and having received the liberation you know, of Exodus. And so I think the, for me, I think of how, how hospitable um, other people have been to me. I think of God's love and God's hospitality. Now, just uh, it's forgiveness. To, to break and, in a moment. Think, yeah. To yeah. yeah. To break in a moment. All across Europe and in the United Kingdom, there is a reaction against refugees. Right-wing political parties are getting elected in increasing numbers. The European Parliament now has a huge number of people in the the European Parliament who are saying, we've got to stop this flow of refugees, uh, and we've got to shut the door to refugees. Um, They're destroying our, our, uh, our national cultures. What's, what do you have to say about all of these things that are happening? Certainly you're aware of the political reactions against refugees. And what is your word to those uh, Christians in the United Kingdom and around the world who are listening to you? Uh, what should you be saying to them about this uh, reaction against refugees? Yes, I, th- I think we say we miss out on our... One, it's it's kind of breaking the... It's breaking the invitation that God has for how how we're to treat the foreigner, how we're to treat the person who is vulnerable. Then on the positive side, I think we're missing out on the chance to be our best selves, to be transformed by God, to grow in love, to reject fear as the driving force in our lives. So as we see these elections 
they're discouraging. But then I think we also have seen some some shifts of being saying no and protests and people marching and saying no, we refuse to treat our our neighbors as people who are to be feared. These are part of our community, and so. I would just say let's keep on holding up the best vision. Let's fight for human rights and let's fight to be to be as welcoming as we can, knowing it's better for our communities. It's better for if we're going to be faithful Christians, it's part of being faithful Christians. And it's making a difference in people's lives. People have lost everything and who do deserve our compassion, not our fear or our hatred. Yeah, and there there I mean there are folks that I think are really driven by fear. And you know, in some of the highest parts of our government we hear uh, immigrants talked about uh, in the most malicious ways, you know, as all being rapists and murderers. And, um, you know, what's happening on our, our Mexican border right now is, is so heart-wrenching. We've seen now at least six children die in custody, uh, families ripped apart, kids put in, in cages. I mean, it, it's it really insane. It's, it, it looks, uh, you can't help but think Jesus is going to say to our politicians politicians when you when you did that to these children you did it to me um but it also feels like i I meet some folks that it's not just fear but they they think that economy can't sustain it or you know we we got to have some kind of order to things you can't just have no border at all and so where's where's maybe some middle ground on some of that What, what what do you think like we reasonably could see when it comes to what a lot of us are calling, you know, immigration reform, comprehensive immigration reform, what what would that look like in the last few minutes we have? Yeah, exactly. No, I in my book, and you welcome me, I go through one chapter and, and look at, I think, seven different, you know, main objections, which are, you know, one is a security objection, one is um, the economy, or will, we, will they take our jobs? And I think there's, these are legitimate concerns. Yeah. Some are, are they? I, wait, wait just a moment. Are they legitimate concerns? They will take our jobs. Because I got this to say. Here in the United States, we're fearful that uh, fruit will not be picked this year because we don't have the immigrants coming across the border who have picked the fruit for us. That unemployment is down to a a 50-year low in the United States. We can't get people to take menial jobs that these refugees would love to have. Uh, when you say uh, they're legitimate concerns, they're taking our jobs, are they really taking our jobs? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I think that that statement, they're taking our jobs, is has to be questioned because the evidence is quite to the contrary. At least it is here in the United States. I think it's true in Europe as well. Yeah, exactly. When I say it's a legitimate concern, I only mean in the sense like it's legitimate for someone to be concerned about that. You know, like, are we going to lose our jobs? But you're right. All the evidence is that we need them and they make our economy stronger and the same it just like for jobs where they're going to help us and they help raise wages and make the economy stronger and pick fruit and do jobs as americans don't do it's all positive uh and same thing on security that there hasn't been a an american citizen who's died from a refugee attack you know since the refugee act of 1980 and if you look at the actually surveys where the neighborhoods that have more immigrants are actually safer have less crime than communities that have more. So I think we need to take these on and help people and serve people who, who are being manipulated to say, no, these are legitimate things to be have concerns about. But then if you look deeply, no, they're not reasons to keep people out. They're actually, when you look more deeply, there are more and more reasons to welcome people and to bring them in. Uh, I'm serving in a church in South Philadelphia, St. John's Baptist Church in South Philadelphia. It's surrounded by immigrants, uh, Indonesian immigrants, Burmese immigrants, 
uh, people from the Philippines. Uh, the statistics are clear. Crime has dropped dramatically since these refugees have moved in. These people all, almost all, have jobs and are earning their way and are paying their taxes and are making contributions. Uh, America forgets that it was a nation founded by immigrants. And uh, the truth is we have to be careful when we listen to these people who make these complaints. And it's generally politicians, and I hate to say it, like Donald Trump, who say they're rapists, they're murderers, they're taking our jobs, creating fear, and that the evangelical community supports this guy who's saying these things instead of questioning the statements that he's making and pointing out how unchristian they are. I talk too much. You talked. You you didn't talk enough. Uh, Kent, oh, it's thanks. great. Thanks for being with us again, Kent. We've had you on before. In, in fact, we did a, a show last week with you. Uh, we've been talking to Kent Annan. Uh, his newest book is You Welcome Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. So we got to land the plane here, but we remember that Scripture tells us that we're to welcome the foreigner as if we are welcoming our own selves because we ourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Jesus said, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. The scripture says when we uh, bring in the foreigner, we might be entertaining angels unaware. So this is holy work. Welcome somebody this week. Go and fall deeper in love with Jesus and deeper in love with your neighbor. We'll catch you next week at this time. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo.